Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Before we get started, I want to say today's program is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. And I want to thank Diane for sending along a one-time donation at support.greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank Clifton for becoming our latest Patreon supporter at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month at patreon.greatdetectives.net. You can support the show on a monthly basis. And after today's program, we're going to discuss the future of video theater in detail. So be sure to listen to that. Today's program, I'm going to put in a helpful parental guidance a warning because I know some folks uh, listen to the program with their children, so you may want to listen to this one on your own first. Uh, the original air date is July the 24th, 1950, and the title is The Devil's Bible. Wheaties presents Night Beat. <laughs> On stage tonight from Hollywood, Night Beat, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat for the Chicago Star. Stories begin in many different ways. And sometimes when you start digging for the facts behind a story, you end up by finding that you've dug yourself a grave. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. On a hot August afternoon back in 1936, young Bobby Feller stepped out on the mound and started his first major league game as a Cleveland Indian. He was just 17 years old. Bob, step up here and tell us what happened that day. Well, Ed, I was really loaded with Wheaties for that game. I struck out 15 St. Louis Browns. You uh, think the Wheaties helped, eh, Bob? Ed, I'll tell you, Wheaties always help. I've been eating them for pretty near 20 years, four or five times a week. And Wheaties with milk and fruit are still my favorite breakfast dish. That's wonderful, Bob. Thanks for stopping by, and best wishes to our real Wheaties champion. Yes, thank you, Bob Feller. And folks, did you hear what the man said? Wheaties always help. Now, you may not play baseball for a living, but you can use whole wheat energy, too. You try it. Breakfast of champions. Have some and see yourself how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. If anyone had told me once about seeing flying saucers in the sky, I'd have tagged him either as a joker or a candidate for the booby hatch. But nowadays, anything is possible, apparently. You know, you could tell me that you saw a little man from Mars three feet high, and I, I wouldn't disbelieve you. Because tonight, I saw someone almost as strange. Fred Mola's bookshop is a shabby little place amidst a teeming stretch of tattoo parlors and penny arcades. It was the book in his window that caught my eye as I was passing. An early edition Bible, richly bound in antique leather, hand-tooled and inlaid with heavy gold leaf. 
It stood out against the books that surrounded it like a 90-carat diamond in a display of 10-cent jewelry. I looked up, and there was Mr. Moller watching me through the dusty window with a smile of a man holding in his fear. And I went in. Hello. Ah, a little early, aren't you? Early? <laughs> it's almost 10 o'clock. I know. I'm just looking at that old Bible in your window. You are a collector of old Bibles, no doubt. No, no, not, uh, not exactly. I, <laughs> I just happened to see that same book on Mr. Ron Heilemann's living room floor the night he was murdered about six months ago. I am aware of that. Uh, oh? Uh, you mind if I have a look at it? You brought the money with you? No tricks? No tricks. Look, all I want to do is see the book. One moment. Uh, how much do you want for it? The price is still $50,000. 50, are you kidding? I said no tricks. You've already agreed on the price. Oh, you've got your wires crossed. I haven't agreed to anything. Who do you think I am, anyway? Aren't you the man? The name who... is Stone, Randy Stone of the Chicago Star. Oh, a newspaper reporter. I'm sorry, Mr. Stone. I thought you were a messenger from one of my customers. He was supposed to be here at 10 o'clock. Yeah, sure. Uh, if you don't mind my asking, why is this book worth $50,000? Why, uh, this, sir, is one of the finest volumes of its kind in existence, published in 1513 by Martel, the contemporary of Caxton. Yeah, but uh, I know enough about books to know that $500 would be plenty. Uh, do the bloodstains on the cover increase the value? Bloodstains? was lying on the floor in Heilemann's study when the police found the buddy. Ron Heilemann had been stabbed with a pair of desk shears. Yes, a terrible thing, murdered by his uh, houseboy, wasn't it? Uh, a man named... Canto, uh, Willie Canto. That still doesn't make the book worth $50,000. Well, there's something different about this book. Oh, is that so? Oh, this book is a black gospel. Uh, oh, don't, fine, thank Don't you. rush away. It's very interesting. For instance, the first 12 sections are the first 12 books of the Bible. Uh, can you read this old English script? Well, not as well as an old Englishman, but I can try. Read it. And he burnt the house of the Lord at... What's this other stuff that follows on the next page? Hail to thee, Lucifer. What is this, anyway? Oh, don't you see? It's the beginning of the black gospel. The devil's Bible. What's that? Well, you see, in the year 1513, possession of this sort of literature was a sure passport to the gallows or the stake. Mm. Now, here's the invocation to Satan himself, summoning him up from hell which was considered the most potent of all the spells used in which... Mr. Mola, why are you trying to keep me here? Well, uh, You're not sure whether this messenger you're expecting at 10 will come with money or a gun, is that it? Oh, really, now? Well, if you're afraid, why don't you call a cop? I got work to do. I can't stay here and play bodyguard. Wait, uh, please. The police wouldn't understand. Well, if it's that kind of a deal, then all I can suggest is uh, you make with a spell, call up the devil, let him protect you. I'm going. Some of these prayers to Satan are remarkable, Mr. Stone. Here, let me read you one. Oh, well, if it'll make you feel better. Hail to thee, Satan, Lord of death. Praises to thee, Prince of destruction. Uh -huh. Let transgression of the wicked be glorified and the purple testament of war be proclaimed. Take us, Lucifer, son of the morning, for we are thine. Good evening, Mola's eyes popped at the apparition that had appeared behind us. 
He commenced soundlessly through the open door, a bearded man in a black turtleneck sweater, dark trousers, and black sneakers. What do you want? The book. I came to get the book. What? What book? The one you have there. The Devil's Bible. Who sent you? Don't answer that. Mr. Stone, if you don't mind, sir, this happened to be my business. Virgil said it would be here. Who? Virgil, my guide. Who are you? Mr. Stone, I'm... I'm going to close in a few minutes, if you don't mind. Good night. Oh, so this is your messenger. Now it's time to get rid of me. Is that it, Mr. Mona? What's your name, pal? Dante. Uh, Dante. Did you bring the money? Money? What money? Well, this doesn't look like your $50,000 to me, Mr. Mona. I need no money. Get out of here. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Dante, what's your last name? I am Dante Alighieri. Uh, Oh, the 14th century Italian poet who wrote the Divine Comet. Oh, he's a madman. Yeah, but he writes like a dream. It was Virgil who took me to purgatory. My Beatrice led me through paradise. We walked with the angel. First it's a newspaper reporter, now it's a lunatic. Princes of hell, Zamiel, Asmodeus, and Apollyon, they are powerless before me. Their testament is mine. Now give it to me. Get out of here. I tell you, it's mine. Mine. Take your hands off it. Easy, Danny. Let go. That's better. Now get out. The fawn in the turtleneck sweater left reluctantly, looking back over his shoulder as he eased out the door and slipped off into the night. And as I watched him go, I had a funny feeling that somewhere, sometime, I'd seen that strange, thin face with the high cheekbones and the pointed ears before. I headed for the garage to pick up my car. I wondered where he'd gone and where he'd come from. And then suddenly, there across the street, leaning against the lamppost, staring back at the light still shining in the bookshop window a block away, I spotted him. I stepped off the sidewalk and hurried toward him. He turned abruptly, and I called, Hey, Daddy, wait! But he fled into the darkness. When I got to the office, I figured that Moller's little bookshop might make the basis of a human interest yarn if I tied it in with the breakup of the late Ron Heilemann's famous book collection. So I had our librarian, Benny Marcus, dig out the files on the case from the morgue. I found something that made me do a fast take. What is it, Riley? Well, I'm just looking at the picture on this story. Huh? Oh, Mrs. Beatrice Howland, huh? Ain't bad, is she? Young enough to be Howland's daughter instead of his widow. Well, they say he was the connoisseur. No, that's not the picture I'm looking at. This one, Willie Canto. Huh? Hey, what are you doing? I'm just drawing a set of whiskers on Mr. Canto's skinny face. Randy, what kind of fool look, is this? Look, look, Benny, look. I just brought a dead man back to life. What are you talking Willie about? Canto with a beard or his double... If it is, Willie, I'd better get over to Moller's bookshop, but quick. Well, why? He's killed one man already. Fred Moller could be number two. I'd have called the police if I hadn't been afraid of raising a false alarm, which proves that silence is sometimes a poor substitute for brains. It was raining as I pulled up in front of Moller's bookshop. I saw that his lights were still on. The black gospel had not been replaced in the window. When I went in, it was neither on the counter nor anywhere that I could see. The place was deserted. I walked to the door of the back room and knocked. Mr. Moller? Mr. Moller? Where's that light switch? Ah. Well, it's his office. He must have... 
Mr. Mola. The old man lay sprawled on the floor. I knelt beside him. His body was still warm, but he was quite dead. A small black bullet hole in the center of his forehead explained why. General Mills is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Hi there. This is Frank Martin, the man about the Wheaties. You know, I like talking about Wheaties on Night Beat because our star really eats them. And incidentally, I eat them. The burning question is, do you eat them? Truth is, millions of Americans do. Do eat Wheaties. And I have a hunch one reason is that Wheaties taste so good. Nothing I can say about crisp flakes and all that will tell you half so much as the fact that millions of us eat them and love them. So, not one more word will you get out of me right now on the good, solid, whole wheat taste of Wheaties. You try them, and you'll know all. Of course, there's another reason why so many millions of us dip into Wheaties come breakfast time. It's the whole wheat energy, the wonderful energy that makes the whole morning go better. There's a whole kernel of wheat, for goodness sake, in every flake of Wheaties. That's why they give so much. That's why they're so poppin' full of vitamins and minerals for your good morning. That's why Wheaties with milk and fruit starts a breakfast to remember. So why don't you join us tomorrow morning, us millions of Wheaties eaters? Make yours breakfast of champions, too. Join us, and you'll see how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. Do that, huh? <laughs> Now, back to Night Beat and Randy Stone. When Willie Canto showed up at Old Man Mola's bookshop, I didn't recognize him at first. After all, he was supposed to have drowned himself after he killed his boss, Ron Heileman. I hurried back to the bookshop and found that Mr. Mola was dead, a bullet through his head, and the book he'd been trying to sell for $50,000 gone. I reached for the phone. Hmm. The phone is dead. You must have cut the wire. Yes, I did. Oh. Willie Cantle. My name is Dante Alighieri. Oh, yes, yes, I remember that. You've been standing behind the door all this time pointing that gun at me? Yes. Now, look, uh, Dante. Don't come any closer. Now, I, I must kill you. Why? You usually kill your friends. You're no friend. But I am. Oh, then why did you plot to harm my Beatrice? Beatrice? Oh. Oh, yes, Dante and Beatrice, I, I forgot. You've made spells against my Beatrice, but you are finished. You must die. The book can't save you now. now. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's talk some more, Dante, old boy. So you've got the book, huh? No. Virgil has taken it. Virgil, oh. Oh, sure, Virgil, of course, your guide through hell and purgatory. Um, where is he now, on the Chinatown at night? Well, that's enough of talk. It makes my head hurt. You must die. You don't want to kill me, Dandy Chum. If you killed me, you'd be a murderer. No. You'd never see paradise with Beatrice. You'd go to hell. No. Give me the gun, Cano. No. No. We stood facing each other about 12 feet apart while he struggled with himself. I couldn't afford to wait. A little pressure on that trigger and I'd be featured in the obituary column. I tensed for a spring and then... Willie Cantle's gun hand fell to his side, and his dark eyes were suddenly filled with tears. 
I stepped forward and took the automatic from his long fingers. I should kill you, but I... I cannot. I cannot. Well, don't feel too bad about it. I don't. Now, let's get on out of here and go for a little drive. The fresh air will do us both good. Ah, the rain stopped. There's my car. We... Hey, Willie, come back here. Canto, come back or I'll shoot. I wasn't going to, of course, but on the bare chance it might give him pause, I pointed the gun to the sky. The shot seemed to give him jet propulsion. He dived into an alley and vanished. I turned around and headed back toward my car. I got there just as a couple of prowl cars pulled up behind mine. Stone! Oh? Well, Sergeant Blank. No, it was you who called the police. Why didn't he give you a name? You bashful or something? I haven't had a chance to call anybody yet. Well, somebody called. He said that some guy just killed a fellow who runs this bookshop. What are you doing with that gun? Oh, don't look at me like that, Buzz. It belongs to a fellow who was found dead in the river three months ago. Well, who gave it to you? He did. Huh? What are you talking about? Willie Canto, the fellow who killed Ron Heileman. He's as big as life and he's twice as crazy. You're the one who's crazy. Everybody in the Heileman household identified Canto's body. His wife, his secretary, John Talbot, the butler, the gardener. So they uh, made a mistake. Then we better go out and have a talk with Mrs. Beatrice Heileman. If Canto's on the loose, he may be planning to call on her. Mind if I come along? <laughs> The Heilman estate featured a lot of formal gardens, two or three guest cottages, and a mansion about the size of Mount Vernon. The only thing that could have made the interior more early American was a stuffed Indian over the mantelpiece. Tears shimmered in Beatrice Heilman's lovely violet eyes as Sergeant Black told her what had happened. Oh, poor Willie. I guess I was wrong when I identified that body as his. But even John Talbot, my husband's secretary, thought it was he. I don't want to alarm you, Mrs. Heileman, but there's a chance Canto may show up here. Oh, but Willie wouldn't harm me. Why, he was always devoted to me. He was devoted to your husband, too, but look what happened. I still can't believe it. My husband was so kind to him, so... so gentle. He even tried to teach Willie to understand some of those... dull books of his. Like Dante, hmm? Dante? Why, that was my husband's nickname for Willie. How did you know? Willie thinks he is, Daddy. Oh? Mm-hmm. Ron was always giving people the names of characters in his books. Sometimes I don't think they were very complimentary. But I was never too sure. Uh, who was Virgil? Virgil? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what he called his secretary. John Talbot? Yes, Mr. Talbot. John Talbot, Virgil. Hmm? I suppose he doesn't work here anymore. Well, yes. I've needed him to help me wind up my husband's estate. There were so many things to be done. Why? Does he live here on the premises? Yes, but he isn't in town now. Poor man's been working so hard cataloging the rest of those books that I... I told him to take a week off. He left yesterday. I see. Where'd he go? He mentioned something about fishing in Minnesota. Well, thanks, Mrs. Harleman. Homicide will probably talk to you about this further, but in the meantime, keep your doors and windows locked, just in case. What? I'll be careful. Thank you. When we stepped out into the night, it began to rain again. 
Sergeant Black drove off to make his report to headquarters, and I stopped to light a cigarette and try to make some sense out of the mess. And then I saw a dim figure emerge from a side entrance to the big house. The figure of a man standing momentarily in a yellow fuzz of light that shone from the open door. A small, familiar silhouette. The door closed and the darkness swallowed him, but there was no doubt about it. It was Willie Cano. I jumped out of the car. Willie! I caught sight of a shadowy figure as he whirled and ran toward the back. Willie! He headed toward the guest cottages, barely visible in the faint glow of a distant street lamp. And for a moment, I lost him. Then I heard him leap across the veranda of one of the cottages, and I charged after him. He didn't have time to bolt the door in my face. Willie, what's the matter with you? Just want to have a word? Where are you? Turn on the light. Where's the switch? Wait. Well, that's better. What are you scared of? You? You're the police. What gave you that idea? I heard you. In the house, you were talking to my Beatrice. Oh, I see. She knew you were there all the time, didn't she? Why, yes, of course. I was in the next room. Well, I'm not with the police. I'm just a broken-down reporter. So put that nice big knife down, Willie. Hmm? First a gun, then a knife. You're a bad boy, Willie. What do you want of me? That knife, put it on the dresser. Then we'll talk. Now, that's better. Now, what were you doing out there in the rain? Going away. Far away. Why? She says, if I love her, I will go away. Farther than before. Than before? Where was that? Where have you been spending the last six months? On the island. What island? Where Mr. Heilerman has his summer cottage. So she told you to go there? Yes. Yes. She's so kind. She gives me money. She sends me food. But... It's so lonely. I, I I had to see her. Why why does she tell me to go? She told me before she loved me. Beatrice doesn't change. She's kind and generous. Her heart is like gold. Yes, yellow and hard. What? Did she ask you to kill Mr. Harlan? Oh no. I I, I wouldn't kill her. Yes. Yes, I killed him. It was me. I killed him. Pretty mean, wasn't he, Willie? Oh, no. He was a nice man. You killed people who were nice to you? No, I... I wouldn't. I killed him. Beatrice wouldn't want you to lie, not even for her sake. She'd want you to tell the mm. truth, Willie. Did the secretary stab Mr. Holliman? No. But he killed the man in the bookshop. Yes. And you know who killed the man who was so good to you, Mr. Holliman, don't you? Don't you, Willie? You know... You saw it, didn't you? You know who killed him. Yes, I know. Go on, Willie. Tell me. Tell me what you saw. I... I saw through the door into the library. Mr. Heilerman was there and Beatrice. Yeah? What were they doing? He says he knows about Beatrice and Virgil. He says he'll get a divorce. Yeah? Go on. Then what happened? She... She picked up the scissors and... No, no. I, I did it. I did it. She told you to say that, didn't she? I, I, what happened after she stabbed him? She, she... She ran out of the room. I I went in. And Mr. Heilerman was trying to get up. He said, he said, Willie, get me some paper. Some paper. Well, there was no paper. There was, there was only the book. My book. And I put it on the floor so that he could write. The black gospel? Yes. Yes, he wrote in it. On the empty page in front, he said. Give this to the police. They will know who killed me. Why didn't you? I I, I was afraid. For Beatrice. 
She comes in again, and Mr. Talbot is with her. They say that I must go away. You never told them what Mr. Heilman wrote in the book? No, of course not. They'd never sold it with the rest of the collection. I, I don't remember. Everything is all mixed up. So that's why it was worth 50 grand. What? What do you say? Nothing, nothing, Willie. So they identified that body as yours, hoping the police had dropped the search. Well, you're lucky to be alive. Uh, Mr. Stone. Everything falls into place. Not a pretty picture, but it's clear enough. That's unfortunate, Mr. Stone. It was our old pal, John Talbot, the secretary. He stood in the open door of the next room, framed against the darkness. I hadn't seen him since the inquest on Heilemann's death, but he hadn't changed. He was a slender, handsome man, looking like a college professor in tweeds and rimless glasses. The type generally pictured carrying a pipe or a book. But what he was carrying was a snub-nosed thirty-eight revolver. A touching little tale, Willie. Virgil! Does that gun mean I should have knocked before entering? Opportunity is always welcome, Mr. Stone, whether it knocks or not. Opportunity for what? To dispose of an unforeseen problem. Oh, meaning me, I suppose. Meaning both of you. It's Beatrice. Her footsteps. John, it's all right. They've gone. I've been waiting for you. They... Oh, Mr. Stone. Willie. Beatrice, I was going away, but Mr. Shut Stone... the door. John, what is this? Why the gun? It seems that your faithful Dante has been talking to this newspaper fellow. What? Rather extensively, I'm afraid. Willie, have you gone crazy? Oh, Mr. Stone wouldn't harm you, Beatrice. You wouldn't touch her, would you, Mr. Stone? Uh-uh, not without gloves. What did he tell you, Mr. Stone? That lunatic! And you believe him? John, is that why you're holding a gun? You fool! What does it matter what Willie said about me? There's no proof. You consider yourself safe just because I destroyed that wretched book. Oh, no, my dear. That's not enough. I've got to silence them. Put away that gun. Let go of me, you little fool. This fellow knows too much. I can't stand anymore. Let I can't go. stand it. Let go of my arm. So many terrible things. I can't stand it anymore. I said let go. You. You hit her. You hit her. Willie, no. I'll kill you. Get back and drop that knife. Willie Canto staggered as I leaped forward and knocked the gun from Talbot's hand. Talbot reeled backwards and sat down heavily on the sofa behind him. It was then that I saw the dagger in his side and the red stain spreading. Beatrice stood with her back against the wall, her eyes wide, staring at Talbot. And then at Willie, lying doubled up on the floor. And suddenly she gave way. <laughs> I snatched up the gun and went to the phone. As I reached for it, I saw that Willie had risen to his hands and knees, his thin face glistening with sweat. He began to crawl towards Mrs. Heilman, one hand reaching out for her, his eyes glazed with pain. Beatrice. My Beatrice. No! Beatrice. Don't touch me. Beatrice. Keep away. I can't stand you. No! 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 Beatrice, come back. Oh! Please, please. My Beatrice. Dante's Inferno. Yep. Hello, operator. Get me the police. clock hands are converging on four, pinching out the last hours of the night. The rain has stopped and a new moon is out. No lover's moon, but thin and curving. 
like a knife or a dagger, the curved dagger that Willie Canto used. Poor Willie, he wasn't the first who was betrayed by what he thought was love. Love is like eating mushrooms. You don't know whether it's the real thing until it's too late. Oh, well. Copy, boy. You are listening to Night Beat on the Wheaties' Big Parade. If you're a mother or a father with a warm spot in your heart for pink-cheeked, happy-eyed youngsters, here's something you should know. Good food builds good health, and Wheaties are good food. Now, I don't know what you've been doing about breakfast with the kids, but did you know that there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake? With a sunny, wholehearted goodness of field-grown wheat in every flake? With a full strength of whole wheat vitamins, minerals, proteins in every flake? It's true. Whole wheat in all its richness. That's what you furnish when you fill the cereal bowl with Wheaties. Don't slip up. See that they get Wheaties. Crisp, sunshiny, good. Pour on the milk, put on the fruit, and know the youngsters are getting all that whole wheat can give. Do that now. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Irvin Ashkenazi with music by Frank Worth. The part of Willie Canto was played by Ben Wright. Beatrice Heileman was Lorreen Tuttle. Others in tonight's cast were Fritz Feld, Herb Ellis, Tudor Owen, and Lou Krugman. Frank Lovejoy will next be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Three Secrets, released by Warner Brothers. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen also on Tuesday, that's tomorrow night, to the Penny Singleton Show on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. This is Frank Lovejoy reminding you of today's biggest bargain, United States savings bonds. You pay for three and you get four. Save with United States savings bonds and build your own future. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Stay tuned for the first piano quartet on NBC. This is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. This episode was really odd. Because it has this uh, huge hook in the form of this uh, diabolical book being sold in a bookstore worth $50,000, a spooky bookstore owner, and in terms of the overall direction of the story, it doesn't really go anywhere. It felt like what happened in the show before the first break had a... uh, 
limited impact on what happened in the second half of the story. There are a couple of things here that may have happened. The first might have been that the uh, writer of the script had an idea that was uh, had more of a central element around the book. But this wasn't something the network or production wanted to do, and they kind of fought back and forth. And so you ended up with a script that included elements that didn't really get uh, followed through or developed. That's one possibility. Another is that they came up with a hook, but it led into the same sort of story that Nightbeat does do a lot. And there is a pattern, uh, not in every episode, thankfully, but in a lot of episodes of Nightbeat, of some mentally fragile soul being pushed over the edge by the uh, cruelty or otherwise uh, wickedness of someone in the uh, upper strata of society. Either way, it really just didn't uh, gel well for me. And not to diminish the great Bob Feller or Wheaties, but the fact that his uh, pitching performance was against the St. Louis Browns may have had more to do with the 15 strikeouts than the Wheaties. The Browns really were, I think I'm safe in saying, uh, consistently one of baseball's worst uh, teams until they ended up moving. And have had some fantastic seasons uh, once they became the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, now on to listener comments and feedback uh, regarding episode 2163, Old King Death. Uh, Dan wrote, regarding my description, never has been Shakespearean actor around when you need one. Uh, uh, that is true, Dan. I think they are a rare breed today. And they were probably a rare breed back in the 1950s. Uh, in in uh, many ways, the idea is a uh, it's a stereotype that is played like there were actually characters like this going around. Um, but yeah, I think they are pretty rare, particularly the sort of uh, straight uh, Shakespearean actors who just did uh, Shakespeare and things like that. And Jeremy writes, "Thank you for your hard work, Adam." Uh, thanks so much for your comments. And then Diane wrote, just made a uh, donation. No, no need to send a thank you gift. Your show gives us lots of joy. Well, thanks so much, Diane. And now we turn to video theater. And I want to say thank you to everyone who sent me an email, who responded to the survey. Uh, it has really... All the information I've received uh, has just been the absolute best feedback that uh, I could have asked to receive. It gave me a lot of direction and information and made me uh, really think about and examine this. Uh, I cannot read everything that everybody sent in to me because there was so much of it. I do want to assure you that I have uh, read through everything, and I appreciate all responses. What I will start with is I will kind of share the high-level results of the uh, survey. Then I'll talk about some uh, comments I received that were interesting or representative of a lot of other comments, and then kind of talk about go forward. 
All right. So uh, we asked people if they if they uh, watch the video theater episodes, and uh, not everyone did, but. Uh, the majority at least watch some, like they might only watch Dragnet or they might only watch Richard Diamond. Uh, but yeah, there were a fair, uh, a large number that do actually watch the video theater episodes, but it's a very, uh, it's a uh, large minority that watches them all. Uh, and then we ask how the video theater episode should be delivered. And uh, 25% uh, favor continuing the status of delivering them in the main uh, podcast feed, as we had done before. 30% favor doing it in a separate feed, and 44% favor on YouTube only. And then one of the key questions, uh, how important are the uh, video theater episodes, the great detectives of old time radio? And uh, those who said it was essential were 6%. Those who said it was very important were 23%. Uh, those who said it was not that important were 52.3% uh, and irrelevant were 18. Uh, Three percent, and uh, I should say fifty-two point four, eighteen point four to round up correctly. Uh, but that is the uh, results. Um, some uh, comments that I did receive from listeners: um, a length would be great. Otherwise, okay to scrap them. They are filling up my space as well. And then uh, I always try. And this one uh, comes from David, who says, I always try to watch the videos when I can, and in fact, keep meaning to go back and watch all the old videos I've missed, but I've never seemed to be able to get the video to download to the app correctly, and always ended up having to go to the website to watch them. Honestly, having them on a playlist on YouTube would probably be easier for me than it is now. Thanks for everything, and good luck with getting the problems sorted. And uh, Les says, I enjoy the videos, but they do take up a lot of space. I listen at work and watch the videos during the lunch break, and it's nice uh, to have the video on my iPad as I don't connect it to Wi-Fi while at work. Appreciate all the work you do in creating the podcast. And uh, then Holland says... I like the hardcore old-time detective stuff. I listen to more of your Dragnet than anything else. I enjoy the videos and movies greatly. I don't have a lot of money. I believe that on your video podcast, you should uh, put out for a month and then delete them and put for new on. Direct people to download them while they can or direct them to another site to see all you've got or sell them uh, once you deleted them. And finally, we have this uh, email from Mara, uh, who had difficulty doing the survey. And uh, she talks about how she's listened to the podcast and uh, really enjoys them. My favorites are Johnny Dollar and Dragnet. But along the way, I found other shows I enjoyed, such as Sherlock Holmes, Nick Carter, and Let George Do It. I have to admit, I've tried other old-time radio shows, but your 
yours is my favorite in part because of the video episodes. Over the last two or so years, I've found myself traveling more frequently and further away. I like having the video podcast to take with me on the plane or in the car. They make the time pass much more quickly. I also like to watch the podcast sometimes before I go to bed. I really like them. My favorite is Dragnet. I'm a student and I study criminal justice, so I love seeing and hearing the way old-time detectives approach different cases and adapt to changing case laws such as Miranda versus Arizona and how those changes impacted police investigations. I also enjoy some of the longer video episodes such as And Then There Were None. I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. And just before I watched uh, that episode, I finished reading the book. The video podcasts have introduced me to other programs such as Dead on Arrival and The Bat. Even when school takes over, I'm not able to listen as often as I like. I like that the archive allows me to go back and see episodes I may have missed for one reason or another or simply rewatch episodes that are my favorite. All of that being said, I know technology is frustrating and can be difficult to work with. I encourage you to do what is best for the show and know that no matter what course you take, your faithful following will support it. As you correctly pointed out, this is a radio show. Television is, as it was then, an unexpected happy bonus. I'd be sad to see the video podcast go, but I would continue to listen to my favorite man with the action-packed expense account and my favorite police force in action, hoping beyond all reality that the episodes will never end. Take care, Adam, and best of luck. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate the email and also all the uh, understanding from all the uh, listeners who've contacted me. And what I've really gathered is that there are a couple of things that are true. First, there is a lot of our audience that really does value the videos. But secondly, it's not every single listener. In fact, there's a large number which have no use for the videos at all. And in some ways, when I first started doing the video theater, it wasn't something that I thought of. I really thought that you'd like the old-time radio detectives, you'd like the early TV detectives. And I think there's a large crossover, but there's a portion where it just doesn't. So what I'm minded to do is to continue video theater, but on a separate feed and on YouTube as well. Uh, the responses I've received really indicates that there are people who could use the ability to download. But the prime source where I will encourage people to go will be on YouTube. And that will hopefully help our old-time radio archive there also be successful when we're also offering uh, video as well. If I do, uh, we do this on a continuing basis on YouTube, uh, I will be adding commentary to the beginning and end of the video. And we'll, tr and tentatively, I'm hoping to try our first experiment on that out this Saturday, or this Sunday, excuse me. And also, th this is a little bit difficult to speak to, since these are goals and I'm recording this about nine days in advance. But I also hope to have, already up at YouTube, another uh, public domain video theater episode in that regard. So if you do want to receive the videos, go to videotheater.greatdetectives.net. If you subscribe directly off the main podcast feed, you may continue to receive the videos. But if, like most subscribers, you went off the feed that's in the iTunes Store or Google Play Store, you should uh, just be getting audios unless you go to Video Theater, 
www.greatdetectives.net and at that address you can go ahead and subscribe to the video feed or you can uh, watch them on YouTube. Now the other thing that we won't be able to do is maintain uh, a huge archive. We had 105 videos posted before with uh, some 90 minute movies, hour long TV episodes, and uh, all of that kind of constant uh, continuous demand became a big part of uh, what brought the server down. So I will kind of follow Holland's uh, advice. We'll post two uh, episodes per month at least of video theater and we will keep the episode up for two months and uh, the oldest episode will be rotated out when the next uh, video theater is added and i do intend to uh, re-add doa so we'll have five videos once it's all said and done but i'm going to hold off a little bit on doa just because that's a longer movie however youtube uh, i hope to keep a full archive of our uh, video theaters. I'm also working to restore links even th for those that uh, we don't actually have videos. I've uh, made all of the video theater episodes private except for a couple uh, where I've added in embed codes for the Internet Archive. You can watch it on the site or click on the Internet Archive link to go down and download the file directly. Again, thank you for all of your comments, and uh, I hope that while what we're, we're able to offer you going forward isn't quite as much as we have in the past, that it'll really work well so we can give you great radio shows and uh, still provide you some solid video entertainment that you can download and save for your uh, enjoyment. All right, that will actually do it for today. Thanks so much for listening to all of this. Join us back here tomorrow for the return of Jeff Regan. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.